1 Kings chapter 12, and I'll start reading with verse 26. It is not my typical process to read two different portions of Scripture, but I ask for your allowance today. I need to read a couple of different verses from different books. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. This is how it's going to, I'm going to lose it. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again. If this people go up, they'll turn even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. This was not necessarily true. This is what he thought. Whereupon the king, this is Jeroboam, he took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he said, One in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. This thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. He made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of people, which were not the sons of Eli. Now I'm just moving quickly through the scripture and I want to just present one verse of a prediction. This is actually... Uh, the third time that Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection. This was the third time, and it's found in Luke 18, verse 31. This was the third time that he predicted, I'm going to die and rise again. Jesus, he, meaning Jesus, took unto him the twelve, Luke 18, 31. I'll wait for a moment. I know you're getting that, okay. Luke 18, 31. Jesus took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. I preach today, we must go up. Amen. Oh, I feel a, a powerful spirit just poured out right now in this house. I want you to lift up your voices and your hearts to God and just receive the anointing of the Holy Ghost in your life because the Lord is good. Yes. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on out of your mouth. Begin to sing praises to him. Call on his precious name. Speak out his atoning blood over your life. Bring your joy, bring your sorrow, bring your life before the Lord and just lift it up to Jesus right now. Great God, you are a wonderful Savior. Hallelujah, Savior Jesus. And I know you've done this many times. We'll put your Bibles down behind you now and let's clap our hands unto the Lord as a praise offering unto God and shout with a voice of triumph.
Thank you, and you may be seated. I thank you for standing. Ah. Frank Morabito is probably not a name any of us will remember after today. To recognize him will pass in the light of so many other things that conflict our lives. However, I mention him due to his keen insight and critical profession. Frank Morbido has been doing his job for about 38 years, maybe longer. He owns an inspection firm, Morbido Consultants. They tend to structural engineering and to its integrity. His profession must be clearly presented, carefully organized. His opinions matter greatly. The engineer has to get it right. If not, there could be an issue in the integrity of the structure. And for the firms, they can suffer litigation against them. It happens on several occasions. All companies, firms, are subject to civil lawsuits today, regardless of their type. We're a very litigious society. The ever-growing population of attorneys would like to keep it that way. <laughs> Tort reform, reform is nothing but a wishful thought. Frank has seen his fair share of buildings and inspections. He's licensed in 24 states and the District of Columbia. He's no lightweight engineer. He's well-versed in structural materials, including cast-in-place and precast concrete wood, structural steel, light-gauge steel, masonry, carbon, fiber, reinforcement. His knowledge of governing building codes, past and present, stand with the best our communities have to offer. So when he was called upon some three years ago or better to give his professional opinion in writing with documentation about the structural integrity of a South Florida-based condo complex called the Chaplain Towers. He made a special notation that the cost of repairs were vital and of immediate concern. In other words, fix the problem now. The cost at the time was $15 million. It seems so small today. Some say that it's not just the materials used, but the location of the buildings that are suspect. Yes, they give immediate access to the beach and oceanic scenes, but they are located in a place where they suffer damage from continual salt and wind. Even sand, finest particles, hitting vital pipes and structures, the smallest of particles. They don't look like much, but over time, they can cut through rebar and steel and all manner of building materials. Wrong place, convenient, yes, beautiful, yes. But the end of it clouds the beginning in ways that cannot be measured. The end of it happened in a Florida condo complex. It collapsed in the dark of night just a handful of weeks ago at 1.24 a.m. Almost everyone was asleep. Most died where they slept. 
buried beneath a tonnage of crumbling concrete and steel. As of the end of July, the death toll now is 98 people, but the few who did survive will never really escape. The New York Times reports that the 136 units had no warning, though Morabito did point out the issue some three years prior. People are asking how. How did it happen? There are a million questions which leads back to the same conclusion. It's not a popular answer and one that's almost always brushed aside. Location. Ultimately, the location was the setup for the tragedy, as it often is. The Corps of Engineers have warned against people building in drained swampland, but people do it anyway. They've spoken out against buildings and houses constructed along known flood zones, river flood zones, and coastal lines with hurricanes frequent, fault lines where earthquakes damage foundations on repeated basis. But in the whole, politicians have rebuffed them. Instead, those leaders will spend millions of dollars building dikes and dams and compacted walls. They'll set up advanced warning systems. Of course, in the time of storms, a warning is insufficient, and many of those man-made barriers have found their fate. Some have repeatedly built their homes in a known pathway of destruction that we know as Tornado Alley. In the last 24 months, where I'm standing right now, today, there have been recorded 2,000 500 tornadoes, yet people still build beautiful homes and barns and pools. Most of the year, the air is crisp, the land is flowing, waving, but in certain seasons, the wind is imminent and destruction is certain. Not every location, ladies and gentlemen, is the same. No one can stop the ocean's corrosive salt. It is the content of the sea. No one can manage the wind or keep it from billowing through the atmosphere. It's a humanistic thought that will ever constrain such elements of God's making. Location may be desirable, but over time. People have been doing this for many years. The world has witnessed it, but we still think we can control God's domain. So we disregard location and deem it all habitable and all the same. New Orleans proper is home to about 400,000 people. Yet it is a full 10 feet below sea level. It's like a dry fishbowl ready to be filled. A swirling storm from the north and a category four off the gulf. And I tell you, there is no remedy. Here's a principle that I found. Location matters. The houses in the parable that Jesus spoke of are the same. One man built a house. Another man built a house. The builders share the same plans, I submit. The house is the same. There's no deviation from the house. But one is built on a rock and the other is built on the sand. Same look, same design, different location. I hope you can hear this with your soul. I hope it echoes in the chambers of your heart. It matters, ladies and gentlemen, where you are. When the day comes and you need help, when you need a sure sound or an answer for the unknown no one can figure out, when you long for a refuge from the chaos that ensues without warning, I preach today that it will not come from what is trending. It won't come from what is in style. It won't come from medical research or intellectualism or even family. It will come from the place 
of your sacrifice. I say today, we must go up. We've got to go up. Let's do this exercise just for a moment. Turn to someone close and say these words. We must go up. Now turn to someone else and say, I've got to go up. Now during this word that I preach today, every once in a while, you just turn to someone and you say, we're going up. Every once in a while, you turn to, while I'm preaching, you say, we must go up. Come on, let's practice it. We must go up. Come on, someone say with a loud voice, we've got to go up. I've got to go up. Say it with me. Location matters. I'm getting out of this situation. I've got to go up. You can't hold me here. I've got to go up. I feel something stirring in the Holy Ghost here today. Yay! Somebody ought to clap their hands and you ought to feel what God is pouring out. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to the church today. Uh, just excuse me just peer over the historical edge for a moment you'll find the nation of Israel is in transition Saul, then David, it was a rough transition, it was hard. And from David to Solomon, it was, there was some conflict, but after Solomon, it was, it was chaos. His own son has now caused great division. Solomon's son, he taxed the people beyond reason. He's rejected the words of his elders and had taken the vice of his peer group. History repeats itself in ad nauseum. The scripture will not spare its reader from this predictable peril. The kingdom will be split. The twelve tribes will be divided. Ten will be in the north, two in the south. And God sets up Jeroboam, who is not the son of Solomon. And he puts him in the north. God put him there. God ordained him. Because Jeroboam had been faithful, he had been true. The Bible says that the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. 1 Kings 11. He is a stalwart in the army and in leadership. He's been given the assignment of kingship. And it began with the word from a prophet, a true prophet of the Lord. A prophet of God spoke this word over his life. Think now. Jeroboam began with a prophetic word, but he ended with a spiritual failure. Just a note to the wise here. A prophecy is only as good as the obedience of the one who receives it. So if you ever say, well, the, the, the the prophecy didn't come to pass, it might be because you've been disobedient and you interrupted it. We can thwart a prophetic word from God by rejecting the law of the Lord. It's an interruption of our own making. 
Here's what the prophet said in 1 Kings eleven thirty eight, And it shall be, Jeroboam, if you will hearken to everything I command you, walk in my ways, do what's right in my sight, keep my statutes and my commandments as David, my servant, did. That I will be with thee and build you a sure house and I will build it for David and will give Israel unto you. There it is. If you'll keep my ways and do what's right, keep my statutes, there'll be a sure house. Jeroboam was commissioned. All he had to do was stay true to the already established path. He didn't have to recreate anything. But he had, he had a problem because the city of Jerusalem was not in his proper. It was not in his territory. Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom. And Jeroboam became fearful that if the people went to Jerusalem to make their sacrifice, they might turn against him or replace him. Jerusalem was always calling. It always calls. It has and it is today. The time of offerings were at hand. The appointed yearly festivals were in, they were in play. And the three yearly festivals, besides other moments, and Jeroboam was nervous about the journey. Can you hear this picture in your mind? Jerusalem is set in the hills, the mountains, if you will. So even if you lived in the north, you're still tasked with going up to Jerusalem. Wherever you live, Jerusalem was almost always geographically higher. The topography was not hidden even in those days. Valleys, yes, but Mount Zion also. So when the day came for the sacrifice to be made, Jeroboam feared that he would lose what God had given to him. Even though the Lord had said, I'm going to give you a sure hand, just walk in my ways, do what's right. But Jerusalem lay in the south and he had no control over the south. The taste of position now filled his palate with fear. Jerusalem is some distance away. It was the epicenter of history. It was the epicenter of power, kings and queens. It was the location of the most beautiful temple of Solomon. It held the Ark of the Covenant and the holy treasures of the nation. Those two towering pillars that were in front of the temple that lit up the night sky, whose tops were set ablaze, they were there. Jeroboam had none of these things. He desired them, but he had none of them, and so he needed a change. He should have kept his place, but he went to the people. And he offered something different. Even he himself should have made the journey. He should have honored that location. But it was his self-preservation that interrupted the prophetic blessing. Jerusalem was under the control of Solomon's backslidden son. It held the wonder of God. But it was under the care of an immature and reckless son of Solomon. And therein lies a confusion of unspeakable proportions. Ill-equipped sons mismanaging the dedicated things of God always brings about division. So Jeroboam, in his fear and wanting to keep his power, built his own place of worship. He knew that he could not compete with the temple, nor could he duplicate it. He did not have time, and he did not have the means. The cost was too high, and the demand too great. He could not conscript a set-apart priesthood, men whose lives were dedicated and consecrated. So in their stead, he built an altar and merely appointed men without a connection to anything holy. The Bible says they were of the lowest of people. 
And he said to all the congregation, all the people in the north side, the tribes, he said, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. You can worship right down here. Watch this. Herein lies the danger. It's a quicksand that takes hold of your mind. There is a vile rationale that binds our feet. But I stand to say, we must go up. We've got to go up. Jeroboam did not dismiss Jerusalem. He did not speak against it. He knew that it was a useless attempt to denounce the holy city of God. The people, even his people, also understood the wonder of the temple, the high place, the mountainous range where the offerings were given, and all the historical accounts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jeroboam knew better than to say it was wrong to go up to Jerusalem. He did not try to wipe it from their thinking or their minds. He just gave them an option. He lied. He said that, uh uh-oh, one location is as good as another. It don't matter where you worship. He could not disband the place of sacrifice. He could not negate the treasures lying within its walls. He could not duplicate it or mimic the ark, the golden ark of the covenant. He even made no attempt to do it. He did not ban the people from going. He just gave them an alternative. He offered them a choice. Something far less taxing and far less worrisome. He appealed to the work of the journey. Remember this, ladies and gentlemen, there's something about the journey. There's, there's a power to be had in the journey itself. Uh, Jeroboam was not into removal or prohibition, just convenience and ease. He gave them alternatives to the real thing, something close, something near home, much easier. He said, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He combined the knowledge of the work to get there with the option of a false god, and they took the easy way out, and that's what happens. It seems always to happen that way every time. Convenience comes with compromise. You ought to write it down in your heart. Convenience comes with compromise. No longer did they have to pack up their family. No longer did they have to walk all the way up and then down those steep valleys and then climb up that mountain. Perhaps they rationalized their decision by saying, it's, it's not the same, but it's still worship, you know. Or at least we can spend more time with our family if we stay home. Or it doesn't matter as long as you love God. God doesn't care where we bring our lamb, where we bring our sacrifice. Jeroboam could not take the chance of the journey he knew that if they got packed up and they made the journey that their hearts would be towards Jerusalem and instead of standing firm and picking up his own bag and picking up his own lamb and making the sacrifice he gave them an alternative but I rise to say to this crowd of congregation of believers and the commonwealth of grace we must go up we've got to go up we've got to make the journey there's a power in the journey Whatever the cost, say it. We must go up. Whatever it takes, we... Whatever the time, we must go up. Whatever the heartache, we must go up. Oh! I don't know who 
I'm talking about. But if you are completely ignored and if you're pushed aside, you got to rise above that and say, we're going to go up. If you feel alone, you've got to say, I've got to go up. When you feel low and depressed, you've got to say, I've got to go up. Oh, yes. And if you feel in your heart that you're in a bad place right now, it's not a good place. Change that location. Get out of that location. You've got to change your location. There is a place of worship and praise and sacrifice. I, I, I don't know. If I'm the, say this, if I'm the only one in my family, if my friends and my friends group and my peers won't go, I'm going to go up. I've got to go up. I've got to get to God. I've got to bring my worship. I know that you have options. I think that's the ploy of the enemy of your soul. He knows that you have options. And he also knows he cannot duplicate the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no duplication of the power of the Holy Spirit. I even think that he can give you chills. He might even plant a feeling of satisfaction in your mind. Make you think that it's all the same. But it's not the same. The enemy desires to have you so desperately. He'll do whatever he can to change your location. He will discourage you from making the journey. And pardon me if you think this next part is a little elementary. But Satan has been at this a long time. He knows where to put the stumbling blocks in your life. He is a special, he is a specialty or a specialist at deception. He knows where all of our stumbling blocks are. He knows where all of our fault lines are. He knows where all of our places of discouragement lie. And he'll always put those in your path to make sure that you can't get to God or you don't feel good about your walk with God. I say change your location. You've got to get up. And just to make that journey to get to this house today can be full of unwanted and unwarranted trouble. But I've got to get up. I feel led by the spirit of promise to say to somebody, you've got to go up. We must go up. We're not going to let anything get in our way we've got to go up go ask Elkanah what it took to go up ask Elkanah 1 Samuel 1 3 and this man went up out early of his yearly of his city to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord he went up he went to Shiloh and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Elkanah, ask him. The husband of Hannah. He went to all of the festivals. He brought a sacrifice. He was faithful in spite of the fact that the priests that received the sacrifice were immoral. He gave his offering of worship in spite of the fact that it was misused and mishandled. But he still gave it. The ministry took what belonged to God and they brought it home. Read it in your Bible. Elkanah had to wade through that mess. Even though everyone knew what was going on, the heart of the people were vexed. They were angry, but they did nothing. Eli knew what his sons were doing and he said nothing because he preferred family over purity. He chose sons over truth. 
Here's your, here's your Bible. Now the sons of Eli, now the sons of Eli were sons of Benial, the devil. They knew not the Lord. What a, what a tragedy. But Elkanah went up. He didn't miss it. Even though the Bible says there was no open vision. The Bible says that, and I quote, the word of the Lord was precious. That means rare in those days. There was no open vision. Offerings are misused. Ministry is corrupt. The word is rare. You don't even know if you're going to get a word. It's, it's, there's no vision. No one knows where they're going to go. The leader ignores the debauchery in his own family. But Elkanah never missed a moment. I ask you, what's your excuse? It's a little harsh. Okay, we'll get in the Bible because the Bible will, will put it right in my face and say, listen, I don't care what anyone else had to say. There are people who went up all the time. They had a lot worse things going on in their life than you. And I would say, we got to get up. We've got to worship. We're going to go no matter what. We're going to worship no matter what. We're going to bring our offerings no matter what. It's not contingent upon style, and it's not contingent upon the music, but i got to go somewhere where I can bring it to God. We must go up. I'm in prayer this week, and the Lord spoke to me about the journey. He impressed on me that not only does he recognize the sacrifice, but he honors the journey. You've got to go up. And there are options today. I'm not going to stand here and act like there is not options. You have choices. I don't think that the devil believes for a moment that he can remove all the things of God. He'll just present you with a lot of options. Options are the killer. I've said it before. I'll say this again. It's been some time ago. We used to not have all these options. So if there was trouble... In the church, you had to fix it in the church because you had no place to go. We didn't have live stream. We didn't have all the things. In fact, I grew up in a day early on. My dad had a, we didn't have communication. We had a party line. My dad got a car and got a CB radio. And he had to have a, a call name. And he was excited about being a preacher with a CB radio. And he called himself the country parson. Scotty and I loved it. We would get on the CB and we'd talk to truckers and I don't know what we were saying. 10-4, good buddy. Uh-huh. And I can remember my dad's car, he had an Oldsmobile and he had a, I think it was an Oldsmobile and he had a CB radio and underneath that he had an 8-track player. 8-track, come on man, now we're talking 8-track player, man. Who had an 8-track player in here? Come on. That was the good days. You didn't have Pro Tools. You couldn't fix the voice. It was flat. I'm going to tell you right now, Bette Miller would have died. You're listening to people on the radio. They don't even sound like that. That's all that filter stuff. You put them on an 8-track, man. It's, it's like live. Man, you can even hear a dog barking in the background. Somebody flipping the papers of their notes. You got that. Just left it on there. That's what they did. Eight track. Mm -hmm. That's right. I remember those days. You had one church in town and no one could get to another church. And if there was an issue, you fixed it. Had no options. 
If you got mad, you got over it. And you say, well, you know what? It's not right, but we're going up. Come on, let's go. We got to go up. We'll work through it. Now, today, there's a lot of options. No one even knows, nobody even knows what an eight track is. In fact, you get mad, you can just stay home. You can peruse through whatever sermon you like. Say, I don't like that one. I'll start another one here. I don't like that one here. Let's go listen to that guy preach a little bit. Ooh, I like that. We like to have that. It's a distant relationship. There's no accountability. Now we say we believe God, but we don't need a pastor. That's a lie. Location matters. And, and it's not that the church is going to necessarily go away. It, it may in time, but, but there's options that are killing us. There's options. And all the options that we have, this is the problem. There used to be a day when there were only three channels on television, and they all went off at about 11.30 or 12 with a national anthem and a flag. Listen, I didn't even, we didn't even have a TV, but my grandma did. And I can remember going down to grandma's house and, and the reception wasn't real good and grandma wasn't really happy with my grandfather, but he got a whole thing of tinfoil and some wire and strung things all over. And about midnight, you know, the television was off and there's the national anthem. You just felt like putting your hand over your heart and just singing, oh, say can you see? Okay, let's go to bed. Uh-huh. Now we got a lot of options. In fact, they're limitless. And they're causing great harm. Our choices are causing us great harm. And it's not just those options, but even sin is now set in a category. Sin is not the same as having a bad day or a root canal or a painful experience, or back pain. In fact, Hebrews calls it pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable, but it's brief. The end of it, the Bible says, is death. The end of it is decay and tragedy. But don't say that sinful life is not filled with conveniences and ease, because sinfulness is filled with ease. The option, the alternatives, can be very enticing. That's right. So I'm concerned about your option. There was something in the journey, you see, that sparked fear in the heart of Jeroboam, and he needed to give them an alternative. He knew that the task of gathering, making preparations, raising the lamb, binding the feet of that lamb, making sure it was in good health, Packing up the family, carrying the family and that home-raised lamb, the best they had to offer, he knew. In his heart, he knew. The thoughts burned his mind, stirred up the image of the process of the people making their way to Jerusalem and up the mountainside. He knew that the arduous task generated passion for God. So he acted in a foolish way and built an altar close to home. No worries. Remove the struggle. Remove the labor, the load, the preparation. It sounded so good to the people, but at the same time, 
He instituted God's golden calves and a reflection of a life of bondage. With ease comes distortion. You don't have to do all that stuff, he said. You don't have to do all of that. But I say you have to go up. You don't have to give in those offerings and tithing. They've got enough. Uh Uh-uh. You've got to go up. God loves you just the way you are. Hold on a second. He does. But he asks you to change. He wants you. Here's the Bible. Be a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've got to go up. And before you think this is just about coming to church on Sunday, I offer you Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Because it's not Sunday, it's Monday, it's Tuesday about 5 o'clock, it's Wednesday about 3 o'clock, it's on Thursday, it's on Friday, it's every day of every, of every moment of your life. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. You're going to live holy, you're going to live, accept- you've got to go up, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. You've got to go up do not be transformed let me read it again I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice it's going to be holy I've got to go up it's going to be acceptable it's my reasonable service I've, I've got to go up because I know that I cannot be conformed to this world but I've got to be transformed So before you think in error that all I'm talking about is getting to church, no, I'm talking about tomorrow morning when the devil faces you head on. You say, I've got to go up. I'm going to present my body as sacrifice. (laughs) Just so you know, The sacrifice was not brought with sadness. The sacrifices did not come to the temple with sadness. The Bible will teach us and the historical account will also confirm that it came in the midst of singing, dancing, and music. David was not the first, but it looks like he baked it into the festival days. You see, worship means sacrifice. But praise was right there along with it. David did not write his psalm about courts and praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Of course, he did not, he did not write it just because he had a great idea. David did not say, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise just to encourage the people to follow his example. It was common to the nation of Israel. I know what the alternative is, ladies and gentlemen, but I've got to go up. And I know that there are other things that I'm going to do when I get there. I'm bringing myself. That's called worship. But I'm coming with praise in my mouth. Praise, singing, and music. Like the ushers at a theatrical event seating the guest of honor. Worship is the sacrifice, but praise gives it entry. And for all of their thousands, tens of thousands of lambs slain over the span of millennials, none compared to the spotless lamb, his name was Jesus, and he went to Calvary. And the the song says, to save a wretch like you and me, that's love. And while I know that there was not a celebration the day he died, in the reference to the Older Testament sacrifice, 
When Jesus died, there was not music and dancing and singing. Even still from my aerial view and a broader look at the scripture, it's broader than just the day that Jesus died. I submit that the sacrifice did come with singing and worship and praise. It just came one week prior. Because on Palm Sunday that we celebrate, there was singing and there was rejoicing. And Jesus entered Jerusalem with a joyful celebration. It happened one week prior. The sacrifice was ushered in with praise. It happened on his triumphal entry as he was riding a donkey in the likeness of kings. And the people were casting their coats in the pathway and pulling down branches and palm branches like a red carpet event. The sacrifice was coming with praise. Because when you come and bring your sacrifice, you're going to come with singing and dancing and praise. And rejoicing because you know the Lord is good, and you got to say, We're going to go up, and we're not going to go up sad or disappointed or depressed, but we're going to go up with singing and dancing and rejoicing and shouting and clapping and some music, and we're going to get the praise singers, and we're going to get the dancers, and we're going to get the high cymbals and the loud sounding cymbals. Stand with me right now. Stand there. I offer you no alternatives. There are no choices. Get this out of your mind that you have a choice or an alternative. Remove the choice and say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get there. We've got to go up. Let's just concentrate on Sunday for a moment. We'll get to Monday. Tell your family. If at all possible, we're not going to miss the worship. We're not going to let depression or anxiety or fear or wantonness, we're not going to miss it. If you got babies and you're struggling getting them ready for church, do whatever you can and get in here. If We've changed their outfits multiple times. When I say we, what I meant Tammy has. I cleaned out the back seat many times. We said, we're still going. We got to go. We're going to be there. We've got to be there. We're going to go. You'll feel good about yourself. We're going to go. You got nothing to wear. Wear what you got on. You got to go. Nothing's going to hold me back now. I'm I'm coming. I'm coming. I got to go up. In fact, if there's any event you ought to go throughout the week, you should cancel everything and say, if we don't go to anything else, we're going to get to the house of God. We're going to bring our bodies and we're going to come in rejoicing. We're going to bring all of our pain, all of our suffering, our highs and our lows, our success and our failure, and we're going to give it to God. And when you walk into this house, you are the sacrifice and you ought to come in like this. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm coming up, Lord. And when you recognize the choice or the alternative, just wipe that away. And if you say to me, it's not convenient, I say to you, there is a power in the struggle. The journey, the struggle. Because when you get to the destination, 
the Lord is not just going to receive your sacrifice. He's going to honor what it took for you to get there. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. And this week, when you face something that you know would distort your life, you could take the convenient way out instead of speaking truth You can say the wrong thing and avoid trouble. Just know this. It would be better for you to face trouble and be honorable and holy before the Lord. Because you can't be conformed to this world. You're a living sacrifice. Every day you're dying before the Lord. Your flesh is dying before the Lord. You're not conformed. You're going to prove what's holy. You're going to prove what's right. You're going to prove what's acceptable to God every day of our life. Amen. I say today, in the name of Jesus, impress us on the people as we move forward, Lord. Remove all the options of our lives, Lord. Remove all the things that we think are choices because our location matters. The location of our spirit, the location of our heart. Hear the word, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's a location It's a location. Close your eyes right now and lift up your hands and just say, Lord, I'm committed to you. If you feel committed, if you want to be committed, if you're already committed, if you haven't done it yet, just lift up your hands and say, I'm committed to you, Lord. Come on, just receive me, Lord, right? Receive my life. Because I'm, I'm bringing myself with praise. I'm bringing it with praise. I'm bringing it with worship.